bringing you some hot chocolate, you know what I'm saying? It's that time of the year, right, to have a little hot chocolate. Kind of ran low on whipped cream, but uh, now this is, who, who wants, anybody in the mood for some, yeah. some, some hot chocolate? Now, before I give it to you, I wanted to show you, this is extra special. You may even see it steaming there, hot chocolate. We made it in a very special way. I didn't know exactly, you know, I knew how to just put some powder in it, but to kind of go above and beyond. So uh, we shot a little video. Maybe you'll want to make it at home. So let's watch this. Hey guys, before I passed out my hot chocolate, I want to take a moment and show you it's not just any hot chocolate. There's a special way in which to create like top of the line hot chocolate. And that's, I don't know how to do that. So I asked my friend Missy to give me a little insight in uh, how to do this. I understand that it all begins with the chocolate. So, so first of all, we're gonna start off with, um, with a mug, and I brought my favorite mugs here. These are really good, clean, beautiful mugs. Festive, Christmassy. <laughs> all right, so um, you're gonna put, actually put the chocolate inside the mug. All right, we got Santa Claus. Man, that smells good. Malted caramel. Those of you who got that. Mm. Smells good. It smells like a cow. Just like it being at Starbucks. Over here. I don't know if I can drink it if it's got, oh, look at that. There you go. Oh, and how do you say that? Uh, Ghirardelli? Ghirardelli, there you go. That is, this, if this, if, as you can tell, there you go. You know what, not, you, you want a good looking Santa Claus with a hat, it's pretty good. All right, that's one down. We only got four more, three more to go. All right, let's pour a little milk. Is this mug okay? Yeah. Kelly, this one we're gonna do. Who is it? Mmm, got another Yogi Bear. Oh, so it makes it Christmassy. And we're gonna do three scoops. Oh, there we go. Wow. All right, we got three go when we, yeah. well, you're missing a cup. I think I had just one. All right, grab me a cup over there. So we will do, ooh, our, it's melting a little bit. We gotta, hurt, we gotta get those out there to the congregation. All right, let's get them out to the congregation. All right, perfect. And old Saint Nick. There we go. All right, now, now you know what happened to the whipped cream, right? You guys ready to have some of the uh, hot chocolate? Where the cups are not exactly that clean. Let me. Oh, sorry about that. Let me put Santa in the front here. You know, I, I wanted to remind us, I guess when we think about Christmas, we don't often think about 
I guess, dirt or dirty. But reality is, is, is Christmas is a, is a lot about mess and cleaning up your mess. When I grew up, my, when we would open our gifts, I got two brothers, and we would open all the gifts, and then we would put all the wrapping paper away after we had opened all the gifts. Anybody else do that at their house? You open all the gifts, rip them open as kids, and then you clean up the mess. Now, the downside of that is that we would always end up throwing away a toy. And we'd have to go back in the afternoon every year, it seemed like, and look in the trash can. Well, that's the way I grew up. That is not the way my kids grew up because my wife is a neat person. And so we throw it away as we open the gifts. You know, we, the first thing we have to have is a plastic trash bag so we can keep it uh, keep all the mess out of the way. And in reality, Christmas is a lot about, well, cleaning up messes. You know, we're in a series talking about Route 66, and I don't think there's anything that, I don't know, messes up a car quicker than a, a trip or a vacation, a road trip. You get back home from a road trip, your cars look pretty bad. How many of you have a clean car? That's important to you. All right, okay, the, the, the many of you, I won't say the majority, I can't see the hands at our campuses, but I'm sure you're telling the truth. How many of you at all of our campuses have a messy car, if you'd be honest? All right, a few of you folks. I, I thought it'd be cool to kind of go out into the parking lot. <laughs> Not today, some of you got nervous. But during the week, and look at the, well, a few of the campus, uh, or the pastor's Automobile. So I got the help of the Grinch, and this is what happened. Let's watch. Let me see the whipped cream. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty good. I want to talk about that. We're getting ready. We're only a week away from Christmas. And one of my favorite Christmas passages, and if you've hung out here, you've heard me quote it and talk about it. And what I want to do this weekend is I want to dive a little deeper into it because it really, it really talks about well, our messy lives. Look with me. If you pull out the outline you got when you came in at all of our campuses, Luke chapter 2. And, of course, Jesus has been born in the city of Bethlehem. And in verse 8, here's what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, right? It would freak you out if all of a sudden these angels show up and they're singing and there's all this light, this glory of God. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why? Now remember, and I think the same thing is true for you and I. You do not have to be afraid. Troy, you, say, Troy, you don't understand how messy my life is. 
You don't understand all the, uh, the hurt, the dirt, the fear. The angel says, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news that will cause great joy, and it's for all people. What is that good news? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, there are three things that he says here. The angel says, I've got good news that's going to bring great joy for all people. Say that out loud with me. Good news. Hold on. No, you, 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 you said it like you're terrified, okay? Now, you may be terrified. Your life may feel like it's messy. I was reading an article about an airline that messed up online. They posted tickets from, uh, where was it? To, to Cyprus. I can't remember exactly. I think I may have wrote it down. But they posted the ticket for $39. You know how much the ticket was? $3,900. They sold like 2,000 tickets. It cost them $7 million. That's how much they lost. You know what you call that? A mess. Right? That's being terrified. Where you screw up in a big way. And there are some of us, if we're honest, we've screwed up. Maybe not that bad, but we are afraid. We're afraid of losing our job. Or we're afraid that our spouse doesn't care about us. Or we're afraid that our kids are going to make bad decisions. Or we're afraid of what our grades are going to be when they come out. We're afraid of the new year. We're afraid of our finances. And he says, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because it's Christmas. And Christmas is, say it with me, good news. Great joy. No, no, you're not getting it. Let's say it one more time. Good news, great joy for all people. And that's exciting for all of us. So there's nobody here, no matter who you are or what you're dealing with, that you're not included in what Christmas is really all about. So let's look at this. Christmas, this is the way I put it in your outline. Christmas cleans up our messy lives. And here's the first way that it does. And we're just going to go back and we're going to walk through these. First of all, Chris, he said, Christmas is good news. And, and here's my heart is I don't ever want, I don't want to be hypocritical. In other words, I don't want to pretend like Christmas is good news but not be experiencing it in my life. I don't want to ought to be happy but not really be happy. I don't want to sing the Christmas songs but not feel the Christmas songs. So when it says that it is good news, well, what is that good news. Well, again, we find it in the Christmas story, not in the Gospel of Luke, but we find it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. And this is when the wise men, the magi, are on their way to see this good news. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked the question, because they if you're, well, let's just look what they ask. Where is the one who has been born? What's the next word? King. King of the Jews. It says, we saw the star when it arose and we've come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was what? He, he, he wasn't great joy. He was disturbed. He was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. Because it was kind of like when King Herod was disturbed, everybody was disturbed. Because they knew bad news was coming. What is the good news? It is that we have a new king. And a new king means that we're, things are going to change. 
Things are going to be transformed. That's why Herod was freaked out. Because anytime there's a new king, guess what happens to the old king? The old king gets, uh, gets nervous. And we're going to look at this good news as it is described in the Old Testament and as it is described in the New Testament. Because I really want all of us this Christmas to truly experience good news. To truly experience what Christmas is all about and the impact that it really can have on the mess of our lives. So let's look at this. We're going to look at the New Testament and we're going to look at the Old Testament. In, uh, and I, I put it like this in your outline. Because there's a new king, well, let's look. Who is this new king that is going to bring great joy? Well, first of all, it's a powerful king according to the Old Testament. In John chapter 12, verse 41, it quotes from the Old Testament passage we're going to look at. So when we go to the Old Testament and we read this passage, we know that it's talking about Jesus. Now, I don't know how much study you've done in the past on the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But while Jesus put on skin and came to earth that first Christmas, Jesus didn't come into existence at that first Christmas. Jesus has always been. And you can find Jesus in the Old Testament. And one of the places, according to the Gospel of John, that you can find him is in Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, you have this prophet, and look at what he says. He says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I, Isaiah, saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy. What does the word holy mean? Separated. Okay? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. So Isaiah has this picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And the picture that he has is one of power at a time of mess. Uzziah, the king, has just died. And so things are, well, they're, they're freaky. Things are fearful. I mean, what's going to happen to their, uh, their country? What's going to happen to the government? Uzziah started out as a good king. He was a strong king. And now he's died. And the question is, is who's going who's to take his place? And what are they going to do? Even in the time in which we live, when, you, when there's not consistency, um, the market fluctuates, doesn't it? If they don't kind of know what's going to happen, it goes up and it goes down. People's attitudes, they go up and they go down. And in Isaiah chapter 6, that's kind of what's happening. And maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe the reason that you're afraid is because you're not sure what's going to happen. You're, it's, it's bigger. What you're dealing with is bigger than what you can control. The mess is bigger than you. And no matter how good a person you try to be or no matter what you try to do, you, you can't fix it. So we can look. We got good news. And what is this good news? We've got a new king. And the new king that we have is a powerful king. Bigger than any issue, any problem, any challenge that you and I will face. The scripture says he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's everywhere at one time. And this God loves you, and he loves me. So Christmas is good news. There's a new king in our lives, in our relationships, in our finances. And he is a powerful king. So whatever the situation, he, it says... 
and he saw the Lord. And the Lord wasn't freaking out because King Uzziah died. He wasn't trembling. He wasn't saying, what am I going to do? He wasn't taking a poll to figure out what people thought. He was on his throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. But not only is he a powerful king we see in the Old Testament, he's a pursuing king. And we see that in the New Testament. In John chapter 4, we have a story about Jesus. It's often referred to as the woman at the well. And it's a story of this Messiah that was born in skin on planet Earth that very first Christmas. So when the angel comes and says, look, don't be afraid. I've got some good news. And the good news is there's a new king. And this new king is all-powerful. But not only is this new king all-powerful, this new king is pursuing in other words, it's not a king up there. I mean, we get new presidents uh, every, what, four years or eight years, whatever it is. And sometimes you ask the question, what is their direct impact on you? Do they know you? Do they call you? Do they pursue you? Do they, want, do they know what's happening in your life? Do they leverage the power that they have in order to, uh, to help you to be able to succeed or accomplish your purpose or accomplish your dreams? we got good news. It's Christmas. And Christmas is good news that there is a new king. And in John chapter 4, you have Jesus, and he's in this time period in which he's doing his ministry with his boys. And he's going to leave um, Galilee, and he's going to go to Jerusalem. And it says in John chapter 4 and verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. And if you've ever heard or studied John chapter 4, you know he didn't have to go through Samaria often the Jews didn't go through Samaria because the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. They were quite racist towards one another, a lot of hate towards one another, a lot of anger towards one another. And yet Jesus makes this interesting statement. He says, I got to go through Samaria. And why did he have to go through Samaria? Because he's going to pursue a woman. And the Bible doesn't give us her name, but it ref we often refer to as the woman at the well. And so you have this all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, all everywhere at one time, new king that was born that first Christmas that says, I'm going to pursue this woman. This woman that her society had forgotten. This woman who culturally had been pushed to the side. And yet, this new king says, no, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to pursue you because I care about you. I care about your dreams. I care about your future. I care about your happiness. I care about your joy. And so when you look at a Christmas tree and you pick up maybe your dirty life, your messy life, the things that are stressing you out and freaking you out, it is Christmas. And that is good news because this all-powerful king actually pursues us. He pursues us through his word. Have you ever opened up the scripture and it's like it's speaking right to you? You ever had a friend say something and it's like you knew it was God talking to you? If you're a parent, God uses our kids all the time to awaken us to truths that sometimes we don't see. Jesus himself said we have to come like little children. Even today. I don't know how you ended up here this weekend at whatever campus or chair that you're sitting in. But I know that God pursues you. I know that he taps you on the shoulder. He speaks to you in your house. 
He even uses other people at times to, to say things. So it's good news, and it's good news because he's all-powerful, and there's nothing the enemy can do to stop him, and he can do whatever he chooses, whenever he chooses, however he chooses, and he cares. He pursues you. He's care, concerned about you, not just us, a church, or us, his people. He pursues you. He knows your name. He knows your concerns, and he knows your hurts. And that's a pretty cool deal when you think about this new king knowing me in that type of way. So it's good news. But this good news ought to bring a great joy. And, and the joy is, is that God is not out there. God is right here. Again, you see this played out in the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. And where the angel is now talking to Joseph. And he's talking to Joseph about the fact that his wife or future wife is pregnant. And Joe knows that he didn't make it happen. And remember what the angel said? The angel says, she, Mary, will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their mess. He's going to save the, his people from their screw-ups, from their sin, from their missing the mark of perfection. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And why is that a big deal? Because it means God's with us. He's not out there. He's right here. He's right here. So that's good news that brings me great joy that I'm not by myself. Now, if you think, of, let's go look at that same passage of scripture, Isaiah chapter 6. And let's look at his, the great joy in the Old Testament. It's found in verse 4, talking about what Isaiah saw. Uzziah died, but in this time of craziness, God is still in control. He's still on his throne. And then it says in verse 4, the, their voices, talking about the seraphim, shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Now, what does that mean? The whole building was filled with smoke. Well, when you study the Old Testament, you realize that uh, smoke represents God's presence. In the Old Testament, it was a, a cloud uh, th that led the people of God from Egypt uh, into the promised land. It, it, it's how God spoke to them. It's, it's how God directed them, you might say. It's how God showed his wisdom. And so they would follow this. And so when you read this in Isaiah chapter 6, it is reminding us that this king is a present king. Present in our confusion. Present in our uh, worry. Present in our stress. Now think about that for a moment. It's good news that brings this incredible joy that you're not alone. You're not alone in your illness. You're not alone in your financial struggle. You're not alone in, what you, in, in how to deal with your kids or to deal with your boyfriend or to deal with school or to deal with work or to deal with finances. You know, I, when you think about this pillar, the scripture says that would lead the people of God would direct them to where God wanted them to go. And I, and I just thought about uh, in my life. And I thought about the, the, the times when God, God nudged my heart is the way I say it. 
that, that, that God tapped me on the shoulder and said, this is, this is the direction I want you to go. Kind of like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And he t- the shepherd would take the staff and tap the sheep on the shoulder left or right to go left or right. Proverbs, the wisdom writer says, you know, that um, God will lead and guide us. If we'll lean not to our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him. And then he will direct our paths. I think the whole thing of going into ministry wasn't my idea. It, it was a tap on the shoulder. I, 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 it's not something that I had planned on or thought of. Steph and I ended up at a little country church called Mount Zion. We started a church. All of these things, there is great joy in the sense of knowing that I am not alone and that God knit me together in my mother's womb, that I am created just as you are for significance and that God's going to leave. That's what Christmas is a reminder of because we get all caught up. We get all stressed out. We get all worried. We get all fearful. We get all of these things um, happening. Great joy because he's present. But not only is he present, present, he's personal. That's what we see in the New Testament. Um, the woman at the well. Well, let's read it. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Let me kind of, in case you haven't read it. Jesus has said, I've got to go through Samaria. Why? Because there's somebody like you there. It's the same reason God said, you know what? I'm going to show up at Potential. At the Pensacola campus or the Cooper campus or the Hollandale campus. I'm going to show up at Potential. Why? Because you're here. You're here. I mean, the King of Kings is here because you're here. Not because we're here, but because you're here. And in John chapter 4, he says, I got to go because there's this woman that everybody else has forgotten about and everybody else has given up on. And I want to go and I want to have a personal conversation with her. I want her to know that I care about her and I care about what's going on in her life. She's not a good person. And that's why she's been rejected by her community. In verse number 7, it says this. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, and she came in the middle of the afternoon. You know why? Because nobody went in the middle of the afternoon. And she got tired of being made fun of. She got tired of everybody else telling her how many times she had failed. What she didn't know was that afternoon when she got there that Jesus would be waiting for her. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. So you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you're a man, I'm a woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. We shouldn't be having this conversation. We shouldn't be talking. You ever feel like that? I mean, you're God, you're all-powerful, you're righteous, you're perfect, and I'm me. And while you look at me and you only see the external me and I look at you and I only see the external you, you know you and I know me. And I know the dark sides of me. And I know the things that I say or do that I wished I wouldn't just as you. And so she is there in front of Jesus. She's like, this shouldn't be happening. No one else will talk to me and yet you talk to me. Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is going to address her as he begins here in a very personal way. And what does he speak to? He speaks to her thirst. He speaks to her need. 
He speaks to the dryness in her life, or he speaks to the emptiness in her life, just as he does to us at Christmas time. I don't know what the emptiness or the loneliness or the dryness in your life is. Whether it's get up, go to work, come home, blah, 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 go to bed, get up, go to work, come home, blah, 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 get up, go to bed. I mean, and, and Jesus speaks into that. Christmas is great joy. Because this God that was born in a manger wants to have a personal relationship with us. And he speaks in to our areas of hurt and our areas of pain. Kind of reminds me, if you've had children or ever been a child, what's the most difficult part of the day if you have young children? Bedtime. Because little kids hate to go to bed at bedtime. And so this dad is, you know, he's, uh, he finally gets his son to bed. He comes out, he sits down, you know, and he's like. <sighs> Five minutes go by and guess what he hears? Daddy. And what do you think that little boy said? I want to drink, daddy. I'm thirsty. And the dad says, no. Go back to sleep, son. You can get a drink in the morning. Five minutes go by. Daddy. The dad tries to ignore it, hoping the son will give up. But if you have kids, you know they don't. Daddy, daddy, daddy. What? I'm thirsty. Can you get me a drink of water? And the dad's like, no, you had your chance. You didn't get it then. You're not getting it now. Go to sleep. Five minutes. Daddy, daddy, I'm son. If I hear one more word about a drink of water, you're getting a spanking. Now go to sleep. You can get a drink in the morning. He thinks he's trumped his son. Five minutes later, the son, daddy, when you come to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water? I think you and I are looking for something in a very similar way. It's like, I've got this, this, this antsiness. I've, I, I, there, there's got to be more. There, there, there's, there's got to be something beyond what I'm experiencing. And you know what happens is we try, we first of all try to quench this thirstiness, you know, drinking, well... All kinds of things. We, we try to get rid of the emptiness, experiencing all kinds of stuff. And eventually we get to a place, and whether we've tried money, or whether we've tried entertainment, or whether we've tried relationships, or I mean, religion, we try all those things trying to fill this emptiness inside of us. But it doesn't. There's still a thirstiness. There's still an emptiness. There's still a loneliness. There's still a dryness. There's still a sense of unfulfillment. That there's God, is this all that there is in life? And sometimes it even gets much worse than that. And that is a reminder what that Christmas is not only good news, but it's great joy. What? That God came to speak personally into my life. He knows my challenges, He knows my mess. And guess what? He still comes. He doesn't just come to the good people. In chapter 3, he goes to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good person, not so good he didn't need Christ. But if he wouldn't be in the chapter 4, I would have been a mess. Because I'm more of a chapter 4 
type person. So it's good news. A new king, powerful. It's great joy that he pursues, that he is personal. And then the, the last thing that I wanted to share with you is that Christmas is for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. And as I looked at these two stories and I thought, okay, all people, again, that's just a big broad statement, all, but who, who are these all people? And when I look at the Old Testament story, the first thing that jumped out at me is it's a scared people. Good news, great joy, all people, a scared people. Not, and who, they're scared about what? They're scared about their situation because their situation is bigger than them. And I'm sure that there are some of us here this weekend, you're, such, you can't, you're here hoping God will do something because you know you can. And that's what we find in Isaiah in the year in which King Uzziah died. He looks up and then he sees how great God is. You know what the wisdom writer says? What's the beginning of wisdom? You know what the wisdom writer says? A fear of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? When do we fear the Lord? We fear the Lord when we actually see who God is. When we see that he's all-powerful. I mean, it's that much more. If you think about standing in front of a powerful person, whoever that might be for you, you know, people go freaky over a celebrity or a politician or, or someone like that. Now, all of a sudden, we find ourselves standing before God and we see God for who he is. We see his holiness and we see, well, look what it says in Isaiah 6, 5. It says, then I said, after he saw the train of his robe, it fills the temple and you see the, the, the smoke of God's presence and his glory. It says, Isaiah says, it's all over. I'm doomed because I'm a sinful man. I, I can't live up to this. I'm not worthy of this kind of attention from an all-powerful God. I got filthy lips. I live among filthy people. And I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. But look at what it says. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of uh, tongs. And he touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And I just, God is powerful. God pursues. And what does he pursue us to do? Clean up our mess. That's what the cross is all about. It's to see, while we don't like dirty cups, Christ is quite fond of them. This is what he came for. Jesus himself said, what, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came for the messed up ones. He came for people like me, people like you. And when Isaiah sees him and he feels dirty in comparison to this clean God, God comes down and what does God do? He cleanses him. God's perfection covers our screw-ups. Verse 8 says, then I heard the Lord asking, whom will I send as a messenger? In other words, who's going to go tell people about what Christmas is really about? Who's going to remind them that it's good news, great joy for all people? Whom should I send? Who will go? And Isaiah says, send me. And God says, we'll go. Go tell people that it's good news, great joy for all people. For a, for a scared people. There's a lot to be scared of in our world. And that's why Christmas is so important in 2017. But not only is it a scared people, it's a stained people. 
You know, during the time in which John chapter 4 was written, there were basically three types of water people would drink. There was spring water, which would run like, you know, in a spring or in a river. It, it was the preferred water. It was called living water. It's what Jesus in John 4 refers to. And he says, I am the living water. I'm the best. You drink from me, you will never thirst again. In other words, your life will have meaning. It will have purpose. It will have direction. It will have peace. It will have joy. But there was not only this living or this spring water. There's also groundwater. And groundwater like well water. And then the third water was like the runoff water. They'd build cisterns, and the water would run into that cistern, and then they would drink of it. Now, the problem with that is the cistern, because it was running into it across the ground and the roof and other things, it would have silt or dirt, and it would have um, like larvae, bug larvae, and all kinds of other stuff inside of it. And, and in Jeremiah chapter 2, there's this incredible scripture where God says that our lives are like broken cisterns. Where not only are we willing to drink of the lowest quality of water, not only are we willing to live life at its lowest. I mean, do you have great joy? Really. Not here, but here. Is there a, is there a joy in your heart? Is there a smile that's real on your face? Because Christmas is a reminder, good news, great joy. And in Jeremiah 2, he says that our cisterns are broken, our hearts are broken, and that we're settling for much less than God created us for. Now, all people are stained people, screwed up people, messed up people. And Jesus confronts this woman. He doesn't pretend that she's not screwed up. Have you ever went somewhere with a dirty a spot on your shirt and you could were talking to somebody and you could tell they were looking at the spot but they never mentioned the spot? Or you got something in your teeth, you didn't know you had something but they, just, you, but they never say anything because they might, didn't want to embarrass you, right? So they love you so much that they let you go around all day with a big spot on your shirt, okay? Well, Jesus is not like that. Jesus confronts her. Look at what he says. He asks, you know, he says, go get your husband. He says, I'm going I'm to bring this into your life. I'm about to transform. This is going to be incredible. Good news, great joy. Go get your hubby. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And, of course, Jesus knew. And Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you don't have any husband, the fact is you have five, you've had five husbands. And the man you're sleeping with, he's not your husband. So what you said is quite true. Now this is, this is incredible. You and I are trying to hide from God the thing that he already knows about you and he has come to you anyways. Why? Because Christmas is good news, great joy, not for the clean only, not for the rich, not for the good, not for the religious. It's for all people, those of us who are stained. If we're just willing to say, you know what? <laughs> the dog has drank out of me. <laughs> I'm dirty. I'm messed up. He says, you, 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 you messed up. And he doesn't say that to make her, well, remember what in John 3, 17, 16 says, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. In other words, again, it's a reference to what? Christmas. 
Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But then what does he say in verse 17? He says, but I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to tell you you're a mess. Why? You and I already know that. Why did he come? He came in order to rescue us, reconcile us, restore us. That's why it's good news. No one else in the world can do for you what Jesus came to do that first Christmas. That's why it's good news, and it's good news because it brings great joy, and it's not just for a few. You know what she does next? If you read the story, John 4, she asks him a religious question. He says, where are you supposed to worship? I know you Jews say I'm, I'm over here in Zion and we say over here on this. And, and Jesus pulls her back. He says, that's not what it's about. He says, you're not, I'm not going to allow you to distract me from what the real problem is. And some of you, you've done that even as you've been sitting right there in whatever campus you're at, in whatever chair, you have tried to distract yourself. You've asked these questions in your mind. You've tried to think on other things. You've tried to get frustrated about this or angry about that or, or whatever it is, all in an effort to not deal with the good news that brings great joy, but that's personal. And so God sits right down there beside you and he taps you on the shoulder and he knows what you're afraid of. And he knows what you're excited about and he knows where you screwed up. He knows what you've been thinking. He knows what you've um, been wrestling with. And he says, no, no, we're going to deal with this. Because until we do, there's no true reconciliation. There's no true restoration. And that's what happens in John 4. And and. and if you, if you read it, you know what she does? The scripture says, Jesus talks to her about this living water. He says, you know, you don't have to settle anymore for runoff or well water. So I'm going to give you the best. I'm going to transform your broken heart to real joy. And she gets so excited, she leaves her water jar, the scripture says. In other words, she says, you know what? I, don't, I can stop looking for happiness. I can stop trying to fill this void in my life. Why? Because I've really discovered it. Not pretend, not hopefully. I have really discovered it. And it says in John 4, she goes and she tells her friends, you got to come experience what I've experienced. You know why I think we sometimes don't go and tell? Because we've never experienced. We've got religion. Trying to be good in hopes that then God will do what we want Him to do. But we don't have the good news and great joy. Because good news and great joy always goes. That's how you can tell when someone has really experienced it. There's a reason here at Potential that next weekend we're doing all those services at all those different campuses. It's because, well, there's a lot of messed up cups in this world. And we know what it's like to be messed up and then get cleaned up. And we just want others to experience that same thing. My prayer for us this Christmas is this simple message. Good news. Great joy for all people would be true of you. Father, I ask that we could truly experience 
Christmas. So simple. But in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you remind us that Christmas is about our messed up lives. Some decisions we intentionally made. Some we just ended up in places we never thought we would be. Some discouraged, depressed, defeated. We come to you. And like the woman at the well, and like Isaiah, we ask that you would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God a hand?